G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. As you know, Christian leaders have been concerned about the recent nationwide proliferation of conversion therapy legislation. The so-called conversion therapy laws with the aim of protecting the LGBT community started with changes to laws in Queensland, then the ACT and most recently in Victoria where the medical profession, counsellors and parents have been threatened with jail time for giving guidance to people with unwanted same-sex attraction. Of course, the Victorian laws go a step further and criminalise the Christian practice of prayer and pastoral care and align the practice of prayer with acts of torture. Concerns are now that Western Australia will be the next state to enact laws against conversion therapy. Let's get some insight from lawyer John Steenhoff, who is the principal lawyer at the Human Rights Law Alliance. He specialises in religious freedom and freedom of thought, speech and conscience. John, welcome along to 2020. Pleasure to be here with you, Neil. John, the Victorian law comes into effect in February next year and, of course, in WA there is a likelihood this will be before the Parliament before too long. Uh, Is it likely to be the case that there are going to be all sorts of cases of parents and medical professionals and church leaders dragged before the courts? Neil, it's hard to say exactly how this law is going to play out or be enforced. But what we do know is that now that these bills have become law and are acts in Victoria, in the ACT and in Queensland, preparations are being made within the relevant human rights commissions to put in place a framework for investigating and for sanctioning anything which they see as quote-unquote conversion therapy. So we're expecting that this time is being used to put together staffing and resources to really start looking into the uh, behaviours and into the practices of churches, religious organisations, which have clearly been targeted by these laws. John, you're anticipating WA is going to follow in the footsteps of Victoria. Do you suspect they would just adopt something similar to the Victorian model for a law like this? Well, it's interesting, Neil, that the Victorian law is probably the most extreme conversion therapy law in the world. So we would hope that WA would not just follow in the example of Victoria and enact a law that on, on the same or similar terms as the Victorian law. But if we look at the ACT law and the Queensland laws before them, they follow a pattern that has been established in overseas jurisdictions, notably the UK, in Canada and in America. And those laws are not much better than the Victorian law. A lot of work's gone into the Victorian law uh, and it really is now 
the standard that I think is being promulgated to the other states. So it wouldn't surprise me if many of the key concepts in the Victorian law make their way into WA. We think of this conversion law as to do with the LGBT community and, as I've said, affecting medical professionals and parents, uh, counsellors and church leaders. But you've made a criticism about the laws in Victoria saying they're so poorly and ambiguously drafted they could be imposing sanctions on almost anything as a prohibited change or suppression practice. Is this just a foot in the door, do you think, for even more severe uh, ways of uh, manipulating and, and suppressing people? Neil, there's no doubt that aversion therapies and practices which in, involve torture to try to affect someone's sexual attraction or their identity is a long discredited practice that hasn't been going on in Australia. If it ever did go on in Australia, it certainly is something that's never been practiced by churches. I think everyone can agree that those kinds of practices are uh, really deplorable and everyone should condemn them. The problem with these conversion bills is that they are exceptionally broad in the way that they overreach. Number one, in what they define as conversion. It's not just aversion therapies, but any activity that is undertaken, including religious activity. So that is prayer and counselling and getting alongside somebody and helping them, particularly if they have unwanted same-sex attraction. The other area where these bills are very dangerous is that they apply to anyone. Anyone can be criminalised. Anyone can be put under investigation by a human rights commission. So it's not just restricted to people whose professional practice is therapy or counselling. It could be parents at home who have had conversations with their children and are seeking to help a child love the body that they've been given, affirm the sex that they are, or to deal with unwanted same-sex attractions. It's going to extend to pastors, to counsellors, as well as medical practitioners. It's very, very broad. And there are a lot of ministries that are looking at these laws coming in and saying, how do I make sure that I'm not caught by this, that I don't become a criminal, that I'm not placed under investigation by a human rights commission? There's a real fear there, and I think that fear is justified by the way these bills have been drafted. You're heading to Western Australia at the end of the month, 29th of March, a professional development seminar on law and religion. No doubt lawyers need to be across this sort of detail. Church leaders need to be across what is ahead. Is this the way that you will actually try and help people understand how this is going to affect people once these laws come into effect? Yeah, Neil, it's one, certainly one part of the puzzle. At the Human Rights Law Alliance, we are trying to build that alliance of lawyers who are skilled and who have been informed about what the threats are in relation to religious freedom. And we see that this conversion therapy law, if it is brought in in WA, will pass very quickly. So there needs to be an awareness amongst lawyers who are interested in this field about what it's going to mean and what the implications are so that we can be ready to advise churches, organisations, Christian schools, Christian parents, anyone who's involved in ministry will need to be given specific advice on this. 
This is a seminar for lawyers. It's going to be very informative and it's going to be a way of developing awareness within the legal community. Uh, from time to time, we also do wider seminars for the general public where we talk about these laws in a less lawyerly fashion because, you know, lawyers' discussions of laws can be quite uh, technical and boring to the outsider. But uh, one of the main things we do is try to make people aware that Human Rights Law Alliance is the firm there to help Christians facing hostility for their faith. And that includes where they are being uh, pursued under these conversion laws. It sounds like your service is one of those essential services of times to come, John. Let me ask you here, uh, your thoughts on the idea that some church leaders are in fact encouraging ministers to ignore the law when it comes in, saying uh, we don't get our instructions from the parliament, we get our instructions from God. There is a clash here. What are your thoughts for church leaders and how they might approach the law? And perhaps is this the reason why you need to get some level of professional development now? Yeah, well, Neil, there is the possibility that faced with these laws, church leaders will say these laws in an unwarranted fashion are going to limit my ability to preach the truth that I see in my scriptures in the Bible. And they're going to have to make a choice about what they do and that it could include in many cases the choice not to obey the laws. But I don't think it comes to that point yet because these laws suffer from the from the, um, the flaw that they are so vague that they could catch preaching from the pulpit and assistance given spiritually to people in the pew. They could, but it's not clear that they do. And we would hope that the effect of the law would be limited by the courts in such a way that churches would be free to exercise their fundamental religious freedoms to preach the word, to proselytize, to give spiritual guidance to people in their flock. Something very subtle in there, though, John, even as you describe that, it may not catch the preacher in the pulpit or the person in the pew, but it has given an opportunity, hasn't it, for government to re-educate the church on how it should approach its preaching. What are your thoughts on the idea of the education uh, programs that are likely to be sent out and uh, any time now, I imagine, uh, say in Victoria, uh, that will re-educate churches as to what they can and can't preach? Well, in my view, it's clearly an overstepping of the boundaries between church and state. In our Western legal tradition, there has been a clear respect for that separation between the role of the church and its spiritual domain and the role of the state. For the state to be coming in under the guise of education, to dictate to churches what they can or cannot teach, is going far beyond what is uh, permissible. And it's just a real breach of the fundamental religious freedom rights that uh, we've been set up to, to promote and to protect. So uh, just it's unacceptable if that is going to be how this uh, law is rolled out and how these human rights commissions are going to be trying to put it into practice. 
Well, I'd like to point listeners to the Human Rights Law Alliance website for where you can get involved in one of these trainings to know what to expect. Uh, You're heading off to WA on the 29th of March, a Law and Religion CPD seminar about uh, professional development for lawyers and no doubt for church leaders too at the Sheridan Institute of Higher Education. That is on the 29th of March, that's a Monday, 10 Nash Street, Perth in Western Australia. Uh, John, your encouragement for people who are connected with the legal profession uh, or those who might be church leaders invited to be a part of that sort of seminar, what sort of things are on the bill? You're one of the speakers. There's no doubt going to be a rounded presentation there. Any ideas uh, what other things are going to be covered? Sure. Well, the seminar is going to be chaired by my good friend, Professor Augusto Zimmerman, who is a very well-known commentator on religious freedom issues. I will be speaking on the likelihood of a conversion bill being introduced in Western Australia in the next little while. And also my good friend, Mark Hemry, who is an employment lawyer, is going to look at the implications for employment law of the Israel Folau case. So he is going to be looking at uh, what the situation is after Folau, how everyday Australians are going to be affected by codes of conduct in their workplace and how that regulates what they can do on social media. So it should be a really good program. It's an evening program from 5.30pm and everyone should be home well before bedtime. So it'll be a good night. Well, valuable insights today, John Steenhoff. Uh, 29th of March at Sheridan Institute of Higher Education in Perth. And uh, you'll be able to get a link for how you can register for that professional development seminar hrla.org.au or sheridan.edu.au that's hrla that's the human rights law alliance.org.au or sheridan.edu.au john steenhoff who leads the human rights law alliance john thanks so much for the update today on 2020 and thank you neil Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.